Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley. I'm really looking forward to today's episode because, well, like all the episodes, but this one in particular is very, very much aligned to my own purpose, my own purpose in my career and and why I do what I do. Today's episode is all about helping you to help yourself and your people and your organization to thrive more, to thrive more and struggle less. And, you know, as I've shared before, that's my, my sole mission is to help as many teams, as many leaders as possible to thrive more and struggle less. And I've spent the past 20 years really asking and answering this one question over and over again, which is, what's the difference? What's the difference between teams and leaders who who achieve exceptional results with ease and those that just struggle to keep up? You know, I believe that life and work shouldn't be a struggle right? That, that we can all thrive. We should all be able to thrive, especially at work. And I believe that life and work should be challenging. Absolutely. That's part of the joy, right? Is the challenge. And, and hopefully part of the joy for you comes with stretching yourself and trying new things and, and um, learning new parts of yourself and developing in ways that you didn't think you could, right? But it shouldn't be a struggle. And in high-performing cultures, High-performing organizations, people thrive far more than they struggle, even during times of change, during times like COVID. And as a result, their organizations thrive and perform as well. And as I've said before on, on, I'm sure, a couple of different episodes of this podcast, while change is inevitable, right? We all know that. Change is for sure, it's guaranteed, and there will be more and more and more to come. But while change is inevitable, progress is optional. And progress is completely dependent upon your people. Progress is completely dependent on you and your people's ability to be fully engaged and to bring their best selves, their very best selves, every day with a curious mindset, with a growth mindset, with the ability and desire to contribute as much as they can. And this, all this, during a time when so many people are feeling isolated, burnt out, overwhelmed, and disconnected. So this is no small undertaking. So how do you progress, right? How do you continue to sustain and build a high-performance culture during times of disconnection, during times of overwhelm, during times when people feel like and organizations feel like, we can't pause, right? We need to keep going. We need to keep transforming and moving ahead. So how do you continue to engage your people during times like these and build a high-performance culture? Well, it requires a new way of leading. 
It requires leadership who is deeply committed to the leadership practices that are no longer nice-to-haves, but are table stakes in this new world of work, a new world that, quite frankly, is still evolving and being defined. So that's what this episode is about. It's about helping you to gain greater clarity of the behaviors and practices that are most essential today, most essential to your organization's ability to evolve and and succeed, and to, most importantly, your people's ability to thrive no matter what is thrown at them, so that you, your leaders and teams, so that you together can build and sustain a high-performance culture. But before we jump into those practices, um, I really want to share a story with you. And it's a story I've shared before, but it's an important one. And it sets the foundation of of what we're talking about today and and why it's so important. And it's an old Cherokee parable about a man teaching his grandson about life. And if you know me and you've you've seen me speak or you've taken one of the courses at, at Waterstone Human Capital, you'll know this story very well. And I really hope that those of you who know this story are using it, are using it and sharing it with your teams and and even family members. This is a story that I share with my own kids and and we talk about it as a family. So, So the story is, it's about a man teaching his grandson about life and, and it's an adaptation of an old Cherokee parable. And the story goes, there are two wolves inside me fighting ferociously with each other, the man said to the boy. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, ego, and all evil things, said the grandfather. Well, the boy looked curious and asked, well, grandfather, who is the other wolf? Oh, the other wolf is very different. He is good. He is hope, joy, peace, love, serenity, humility, kindness, and all other good things, answered the grandfather. Well, now the boy looked even more curious and asked, well, grandfather, do I have wolves living inside me? Oh, yes, replied the grandfather, you and every living person. Well, now the boy looked scared and asked, well, grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old man replied, the one you feed. So let that sink in for a second. Now, I don't believe that we have wolves of good and evil lurking within us necessarily. Some might believe that. But I do believe that we have wolves lurking within each of us, within our teams, and within the halls of our organizations. And while they may not be wolves of good and evil, they are wolves of excellence and failure. And they fight each other every day. There's even a third wolf lurking within. What do you think that third wolf is, right? We have the wolf of excellence or success. We have the wolf of failure. What do you think that third wolf is? And if you're thinking the wolf of mediocrity or complacency, you'd be absolutely right. And these three wolves fight with each other. And these wolves get big and strong not on one big win, right? The wolf of excellence doesn't get big and strong based on one big successful project or one big contract that you've landed. No, 
They get big on strong on the little things that you and your team members do every day. It's the little crumbs we drop, the little things we do, our behaviors, our practices, our habits, our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes, all the little things that we do feed the wolves. It's not one big mistake that makes the wolf of failure big and strong. It's the little things we do. And the best teams, the best leaders keep an absolutely fanatical focus on which wolf they're feeding at all times. And they consciously choose to feed the wolf of excellence. Now, which do you think is the most dangerous wolf? Because it's not the wolf of failure. It is absolutely the wolf of complacency because in high-performing organizations, when we fail, when we make a mistake, that's an opportunity to learn. That's an opportunity to grow. And we come together to talk about our mistakes, to learn from them and move forward in an even better way. And that is feeding the wolf of excellence. And so what does the wolf of excellence look like? What are those behaviors and practices that are essential, especially during times like these? When we want to, when we not only want to, we absolutely have to build a high-performance culture in order to survive and thrive. And so what are those practices that, that feed that wolf of excellence? Well, at Waterstone Human Capital, we call them the five attributes of a culturepreneur. And as you heard from from Marty Parker, the CEO and founder of Waterstone Human Capital, a couple of episodes ago, um, he coined the term the culturepreneur. And the culturepreneur is somebody, is a leader who puts culture at the center of strategy, who absolutely believes and is committed to ensuring that their actions, their focus is all about building a high-performance culture, because at the end of the day, It's not the strategy that will produce exceptional results alone. It is the organization's culture. And so in order to feed the wolf of excellence, we A, first need to put culture first and recognize that it must be a priority and it's not a strategy, it is the strategy. And in order to build this high-performance culture, leaders, a new type of leader is required. A leader who is able to prioritize certain attributes. And these attributes include building psychological safety, building accountability for results and for the vision of the organization, building an empowered workforce, unlocking meaning, recognizing impact, and focusing on continuous learning. And these practices, these five attributes, are derived from Waterstone's over 17 years of research through, you know, our Canada's Most Admired program. They're derived through our culture advisory and measurement work with clients, and they're validated against best-in-class models like Google's Project Aristotle. And they're included in, in, in Marty's newest book, The Culturepreneur. And these five attributes demonstrate that what is required for leaders today is not the traditional model of command and control, but one of leading through connection, collaboration, and influence. And so today, we're going to dive into a couple of these. 
All right. And we're going to start with the most important one. We're going to start with, with psychological safety. And it's interesting because, you know, um, Waterstone Human Capital, as we've shared before, uh, we're the founders of the Canada's Most Admired Corporate Cultures Program. And we've, that we're going into our 18th year where we recognize and celebrate um, organizations that truly uh, develop high-performance cultures and are committed to it and their practices and policies and procedures and their whole ethos, everything they do is aligned to building a high-performance culture. And through that program, we have, you know, developed a significant amount of research around what a high-performance culture looks like. And this year in particular, three themes stood out that high-performing organizations are doing really well or they're prioritizing. First, these high-performance organizations, the winners of Canada's Most Admired, for example, are prioritizing psychological safety. They actively build a psychologically safe environment and they ensure their leaders have the tools, awareness, you know, abilities to build a psychologically safe environment. So we're going to look at psychological safety. The second thing, organizations that are the winners of our Canada's Most Admired and other high-performing organizations are doing this past year and, and into 2022, they are intentionally crafting their culture. They know their culture will evolve on its own if they don't craft it on their own intentionally in the way that will be of most benefit to their stakeholders, to their organization, to their people in order to grow in the way they want to grow. And then thirdly, these organizations are prioritizing people development, the growth of their people. And so let's start with psychological safety, because at the, at the end of the day, that's the foundation of a high-performance organization. Without psychological safety, we cannot even begin to perform at our very best. And interestingly, a 2017 Gallup study found that when organizations increase psychological safety, it can lead to a 12% increase in productivity. Why? Good question. Well, in a psychologically safe workplace, people are candid with one another and with their leaders. A psychologically safe workplace is not about creating a culture of nice, right? It isn't about being so nice and polite. You know, I'm in Canada, I'm a Canadian, and I know that we Canadians love to be nice and polite, but it isn't about that. That's not what a psychologically safe environment is all about. It's about being respectfully candid. It's an environment where people can be themselves, where they can speak up, voice an unwelcome opinion, ask for help, admit a mistake, or share what might be considered a radical or terrible idea, right? It's an environment where people fear holding back more than they fear the interpersonal risk of speaking up. And as a result, people are far more engaged and accountable to their work. Better decisions are made. There is far less miscommunication and resistance to change. And during this time of disconnection, lines of communication need to open up, not shut down. And this can only happen in a psychologically safe culture. So as an example, over the years, I've developed a number of different 
types of assessments, right? Well, different types, meaning all of them that I've developed either measure organizational culture, team, or leadership effectiveness. And regardless of what we're measuring, there's often um, questions that measure psychological safety. And there is one question in particular that I've received pushback on over, you know, more than a, a couple of times from leaders when they see the statement associated with psychological safety. And the statement is, diverse and even dissenting ideas and opinions are welcome. Diverse and even dissenting ideas and opinions are welcome. Now, the response is usually when there's pushback, something to the effect of, this can't possibly be right. Is this statement right? This can't really, we welcome diverse and even dissenting ideas. What leader in their right mind would welcome dissenting ideas? This can't possibly be the environment we're striving for, is it? And while I understand absolutely how challenging it can be and uncomfortable it can be to wrangle or build consensus within a group of diverse ideas and those that might have very strong ideas. But that's what leadership is all about. This belief of dissenting opinions and ideas are not okay or allowed reflects the kind of leadership mindset that is no longer acceptable in truly high-performing culture because it represents a mindset that drives fear and silence, disengagement, and potentially critical errors. And so psychological safety requires that leaders intentionally create a culture that communicates that speaking up is not only welcomed, but it is expected. So we're going to talk about that, the difference between it's okay to speak up versus it's expected to speak up on the other side of break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed. And it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culture webinar and watch it today. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. Hi there. Welcome back. All right. So before break, we were talking about how the fact that psychological safety, a true environment of psychological safety, isn't just about, you know, having the comfort to speak up. It's about actually speaking up. And it's an environment where people know um, that it's expected that they do speak up and that um, silence is not an option. Right. And so there's two sides of this psychological safety coin. One side is building the awareness and trust and understanding that, hey, we're free to be ourselves here. It's okay to speak up here. And then the other side is setting the bar and the expectation that speak up, right? Share your ideas, rock the boat with the positive intent of. Um, contributing and moving the organization forward. Because if we don't speak up, we won't have those differing ideas around the table that are so essential to evolving and moving forward. Um, It also requires that we know that it's expected of us to ask for help, to raise your hand and say, I'm not sure how to do this, or I'm overwhelmed and I don't know how to say yes. I want to say yes to this extra project but I'm exhausted and I don't know how I'm going to be able to actually get it done. And that knowing that not, it's not only okay to say that, that it's expected of you that you do say that. Okay. Now, of course, trust is the cornerstone of psychological safety and trust building is being challenged in today's digital and remote world where many of the organic conversations that foster trust are being replaced with texts and Slack messages and pre-scheduled Zoom calls. And so many organizations have lost that positive impact of leadership by walking around, right? Remember that? (laughs) I don't know if I can. It seems so far, so foreign now, that leadership by walking around, right? The visibility of leaders who purposely walk around to connect with other people on their team, to see the work, to ask for input and opinions, to listen and and truly show appreciation for the work being done in the moment. To, you know, walk down the hallway and pause for a minute and ask, you know, somebody's opinion about an idea you have or a project you're working on. So, you know, what are leaders doing to build the connection required for trust in today's world? Well, you know, through our work over the past year, year and a half, we've discovered that exceptional leaders are doing two things very, very well. First, they're prioritizing and protecting time with their people. These high-performing leaders know that their team meetings and their one-to-one meetings are like gold. They're precious. They're valuable and represent a huge opportunity to build understanding of one another and connections. So that's the first one, right? They're they're approaching their one-to-ones and um, team meetings with intent to build connection and create dialogue, all right? And the second thing is that they're shifting 
away from a download of status updates and information sharing at each meeting and prioritizing, like I said, dialogue and connection. So they're making an effort to have time with their team members, whether one-on-one or in team meetings. That's a priority, making that time. And then second, using that time wisely. They're approaching those meetings with intention and attention to create dialogue and connection. And they're doing that in a few ways. In their meetings, it's not about, listen, if you're not having one-to-ones, think about including one-to-ones. If you're not having team meetings, absolutely have team meetings. Um, But ultimately, this isn't about adding a whole bunch more to your to-do list. This is about looking at the work you're doing now, the time you're spending now with your team members, and looking at how you can approach that time differently in a more meaningful way to create greater connection and ultimately more engagement in the work. And so these leaders are asking more questions in their meetings, more meaningful questions, right? They're talking far less and they listen far more. And it's interesting when we think about what it looks like to listen or what it really means to listen, right? You know, of course, there's the standard advice of don't talk, (laughs) right? Don't interrupt. We've got two ears and one mouth for a reason so we can listen, right? That means quieting that inner voice. Don't ready yourself for what you're about to say. Truly quiet your thinking so you can listen and hear what people are saying to you. Of course, the body language and the eye contact, don't be on your phone, you know, pay attention, look like you're paying attention. But the most important act of listening is asking questions. When we ask questions of another person, that shows we've been listening to them. When we seek to understand their point of view by asking questions, that shows we are truly listening and hearing the other person and that we're interested and we care about understanding their point of view. That's what listening looks like, right? That builds dialogue and connection. And it also shows we care absolutely shows we care and that builds trust in and of itself, but it has to be genuine. Now, these practices aren't rocket science that I'm sharing with you, right? They're common sense practices, but they easily get lost when we focus too much on getting the work done, on the busyness of the day, and we forget what's most important, which is connecting and building meaningful relationships in alignment with what we're here to do at work so that we can get the right work done in the best way. Now, these leaders this past year in building a psychologically safe environment, they are not shying away from creating space for difficult conversations, right? Or from asking questions they don't already have the answer to or may not even know how to handle the answer that comes. Many leaders I've worked with over this past year have had to train themselves to be more caring, to be more curious, to be more present, because their natural response for many during times of stress is to simply put their head down, focus on the work, and and get through the list of to-dos and just work, 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 as opposed to raising our heads and focusing on the people around us. 
These high-performing leaders recognize a one-size-fits-all approach does not work, that we are in the age of bespoke leadership that requires leaders tailor their response and their approach to meet people where they are at in order to lead them to where the organization needs them to be. Now, of course, as I said, this all requires trust. And in our Building High Performance Teams and Cultures program for leaders um, that we offer through the Waterstone Culture Institute, we, we um, introduce this beautiful uh, trust model, which I'm going to share with you right now. And it's not ours. It's Francis Fry's Trust Triangle. And Francis Fry is a professor um, of technology and operations at um, Harvard. Uh, business school. And her research investigates how leaders create the conditions for organizations and individuals to thrive. Um, And one of her models, and you can look her up, please listen to her TED Talk. It's Frances Fry, F-R-E-I. It's a really amazing TED Talk on trust. And her model states that trust has three core drivers. And we dive into this um, in our Building High Performance Teams and Cultures program. And the three core drivers are authenticity, logic, and empathy. And, And people tend to trust you when they believe, A, that they're interacting with the real you, authenticity, when they have faith in your judgment and competence, logic, and when they feel that you care about them, empathy. And when trust is lost, it can almost always be traced back to a breakdown in one of these three drivers. Authenticity, logic, and empathy. And to build trust as a leader, you first need to figure out which of these three drivers is your wobble. And every leader has a wobble. One area of the trust triangle, one of the three legs, right, of the stool is a little wobbly. Many leaders that I work with identify empathy as a wobble, right? Really taking time to be aware of the feelings and needs of other people and the context in which they're working and the fears they might have or the challenges that they might have to step into the other person's shoes and acknowledge that and show understanding and care for the experience of others. That's what empathy is about. Many leaders identify empathy as the wobble. Others identify the need to be more authentic and vulnerable in how they show up with their people. And then still others identify logic as, as, as their wobble, showing sound, practical, logical judgment, right? My wobble, I've come to realize I need to work on my logic, right? Because I can take an emotional stance. I can connect very easily on the emotional level. And then it becomes more difficult for me to communicate in a logical manner, um, So logic is absolutely uh, my wobble that I work on regularly and I need to plan out how I communicate so that my plan is understood and it resonates and it builds trust in the plan and me as opposed to showing up emotional about it and excited or passionate or what have you. Um, But there needs to be logic behind it as well. So it's important to understand your wobble. Now. 
Moving on to another attribute of the culturepreneur, right? We talked about at the beginning, psychological safety, absolutely. Accountability, unlocking meaning, recognizing impact and continuous learning. And I'd like to, to move forward to unlocking meaning at this point, because these high-performing leaders are doing this really well during this time of, of disconnection. Disconnection. And before we do this, I think I might've done this with you all before, um, but I, I'm going to do it with you again about joy. So if you haven't listened to the episode on, on joy, please do so. Um, but I'd like you to do me a favor. If you're sitting down, you know, if you're able to sit down, sit down. If you're driving, don't do this, please. Um, if you're out for a walk, you know, have a seat on a park bench um, in order to do this. But I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to close your eyes. Okay. Close your eyes just for, just for a few seconds, maybe a minute. And take a deep breath. Just take a deep, deep, long lasting breath in. And then release it. And as you continue to deep, deep, ah, breathe deeply, I'd like you to bring up a memory or an experience or think of something or someone that brings you a deep sense of joy and really step into that feeling of joy. See what you see, hear what you hear, feel what you feel and hold on to that feeling of joy. Really, really feel it. Let the feeling just wash. Oh, I can feel it now for myself right over you. Now take another deep breath and open your eyes. Oh, doesn't that feel amazing? That feeling of joy and deep satisfaction and happiness and contentment. Now, did you evoke a memory from work? Did you think about work in that moment of joy? When I asked groups of people to raise their hand if they thought of work, it is rare that somebody raises their hand. And the vast majority of people just don't equate joy with work enough. In my research, I've discovered that many people feel that joy feels, you know, that, that joy in work is the exception and not the norm. They believe that true joy is reserved for moments outside of work, like experiencing the sm smile of a small child, right? Or finally, finally going out to dinner with friends. We can actually do that here in Toronto coming up soon, but we've been waiting a long time for that. That would be joyful, right? Or cheering on your favorite sports team, right? We're in the playoffs right now in the hockey playoffs, NHL playoffs, um, and uh, cheering on your favorite team. That's joyful. But not enough people equate joy with work. But imagine, just imagine the type of workplace relationships and results your team would create if they experienced joy, the feeling you just felt through their work on a regular basis. Imagine, imagine the impact to your ability to attract and keep top talent who are highly engaged if joy was in fact the norm at work and not the exception. Unlocking meaning is the key to joy. Studies show that when people believe their work matters, that they are contributing meaningfully to the organization, they are four times more likely to be engaged. They are far more motivated, they learn faster, and are more fulfilled. 
In fact, Dr. Deming said that management's overall aim should be to create a system in which everybody may take joy in their work. And this is so important that the Institute for Healthcare Improvement created a joy in work framework for healthcare leaders to implement. And healthcare doesn't do anything without evidence, right? A highly evidence-based industry. And they developed, they put resources and time and research and money behind this joy in work framework and rolled it out because the evidence shows that when healthcare providers, nurses, for example, experience joy through their work, there is far better quality in the care they're providing. There are fewer preventable errors, far less burnout, turnover, and sick leave. And in order to experience joy, we need to be connected meaningfully to the work. We need to know that our work matters, that the work we're doing is making a difference and it is valued. Unlocking meaning is the key to joy. Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And if you haven't read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, run outside after this, go get a copy of the book, get onto Amazon and order it. It will be life-changing. And he shared that life is not primarily a quest for pleasure as Freud believed or a quest for power as Adler taught, but a quest for meaning. And Frankel saw three sources for meaning. We derive meaning through our work, doing something significant. We derive meaning through love, caring for another person. And we derive meaning through courage during difficult times. And I would argue all three sources can be derived through our work environments with the right leaders focused on the most important thing, building and sustaining a high performance culture through your people by connecting your people in a meaningful way to the work and to the purpose of the organization. And so when we come back from break, I'm going to be sharing some questions that you need to know the answers to in order to build meaningful connections and a high-performance culture. So I'll share those on the other side of break. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House doctor makes house calls. 
Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at WaterstoneHC.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right. Welcome back, everyone. So before we dive into the questions that will really help you unlock meaning, the um, one of the five attributes of a culturepreneur, um, you know, if you want an overview of each of the five attributes, because we're only diving into a couple today, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to send you an ebook that gives you an overview of the five attributes, and you can use that ebook to build a dialogue with your team and and with your your colleagues around, you know, the practices that are most essential to building a high performance culture. And uh, so feel free to reach out via Voice America, or you can reach me directly at nbendeley at waterstonehc.com. All right. So getting back to unlocking meaning, right? There are some questions every leader must be able to answer in order to unlock meaning. So I'd like you to really listen here to these questions and, and answer honestly whether or not you know the answer to these questions. So do you know what matters most to each of your team members at work and outside of work? So not just at work, but outside of work as well. Do you know what a great day looks like for each of your team members? What a great day at work looks like? for Jane versus John? Do you know what a great day at work looks like? And do you know what a day, great day outside of work looks like? How they would choose to spend their time, what the best day looks like? Do you know what they feel their superpowers are? Right? What their most, you know, their, their, their best skills, their best strengths, the best qualities of themselves are? Do you know what they are passionate about inside and outside of work? Do you know what kind of impact they want to make in the organization, in their team, in life? It is only when we truly get to know our team members on a different level through these kinds of questions that we are able to unlock meaning. Because if we don't know what matters most to our team members, if we don't know what a great day looks like for them, how can we connect them to what's meaningful to them? We're just making assumptions without truly, truly understanding. And more often than not, our assumptions are not, <laughs> are not accurate, right? And when we truly, and it, this isn't just about you, the leader, knowing your team members. This is about your team members knowing each other and you as well. Through our Building High Performance Teams and Cultures program, when we work with, when it's, you know, intact leadership teams that are going through the program together, we spend quite a bit of time in, in ensuring that the leaders around the table are sort of 
delayering the armor that have been has been built up over the years and and getting to know each other at a different level outside of the title and the hat each person wears we use exercises that help people to understand each other's life stories each other's you know major life experiences that have helped to shape the people that they've become so that we can better understand each other. And it's only when we understand each other, can we really build trust and challenge our assumptions about one another and truly assume positive intent and have the desire to adjust how we work and and our style with one another because we, we really want to connect. But it is only when we understand the answers to these questions, or even start to ask these questions, will we begin to understand each other? And so as a leader, it's absolutely important to be able to understand those questions, have line of sight into them, to be able to get to know your team members. That's the first step. But it's also quite powerful for your team members to know know, the answers to those questions as well. So, as I said, that's important, right? And this is the place to start. So look at your one-to-ones and your team meetings again. And what questions are you asking? How are you spending your time with your team members? Is the time meaningful or is it? are you on autopilot, right? And it's okay if you are on autopilot. Many of us are. But the, the point I'm making is be aware of it. Be aware that you're on autopilot and intentionally flip that switch, turn off the autopilot and and show up in your meetings present with the intent to understand and build connections. Now, the next attribute that I'm going to touch on quickly here of, of a culturepreneur is recognizing impact. Impact is about meaningfully recognizing and appreciating team members for their contributions and effort right? As well as the outcomes they achieve. But it's not just about recognizing outcomes. It's about recognizing the contributions along the way. So I have another set of questions for you. Do your team members genuinely know at every level of the organization, the difference they make to your organization? Do they know the difference that they make? That's the key to joy. Do they know how they are directly contributing to your organization's vision and mission? And do they know that their contributions matter and are making a difference and that they're valued for it? Right? So I want to share a story with you. And it's a a story about this woman who is walking walking down the road. And she sees this construction site and, and a few people doing, you know, what looks like the exact same task. And she approaches the first person and she says, hey, what are you doing? And they say, oh, I'm laying bricks. Cool, she thinks to herself and, and walks on, and keeps walking. And she approaches the second person who is doing what looks exactly like the first person. And she asks the second person the same thing. Hey, what are you doing? And they respond, oh, I'm building a wall. Huh, cool. And she keeps walking. And she asks the third person who's doing the exact same thing as the first two. And she asks the same question. Hey, what are you doing? And the third person responds, I'm building a cathedral. Do you want your team made up of bricklayers or cathedral builders? Right? 
In high-performing organizations, people see and understand the bigger vision and they feel connected to it and they own it because they can see themselves in it. They see how they can contribute to it. They feel connected to it in a meaningful way and are engaged in making it happen. And they feel appreciated for their unique skills and strengths and perspectives along the way. And they're invited to contribute. Showing, recognizing impact and showing appreciation, appreciation absolutely comes through the little things, the, the genuine appreciation, the genuine thank you and acknowledgement. But it also comes, we show appreciation when we ask somebody for their opinion, for their input. That shows we appreciate people and the, what they bring. So are your teams made up of people who see themselves as bricklayers or cathedral builders? And so I'd like you to think about as a takeaway, right? In what ways do you already demonstrate appreciation and recognition of others at work? What ways are you already doing that? Let's take a strength-based approach to this. Or maybe pre-COVID, you were doing things quite regularly and things have, you know, stopped since COVID because we've gone virtually and the world's upside down. What can you reinstate? How might your team benefit from an increased focus on, you know, acknowledging people's strengths and contributions? Right? And what starting now can you do to really strengthen how you appreciate and recognize others. So I want to share another story with you. I love stories. I can't help myself. And um, if you're still listening, I I clearly like stories too, because (laughs) I tend to share a lot of them. And this is a story about um, a leader that I used to coach. And they were a very senior executive at a large financial institution. And this was the person that was brought in to turn, you know, struggling branches around, bank branches around very quickly. And he was the go-to for that in in a certain region. And um, you would think that, you know, when people saw this person coming, they'd run for the hills and they'd be terrified for their jobs. Um, But that wasn't the case. This person was known for taking a very people-focused approach to rebuilding branches. And so his secret to success was focusing on what people are already doing really well. He said, you know, I could come in and point out, you know, the million things that weren't, they weren't doing well, but they already knew what they weren't doing well. They were already beaten down. They knew they weren't making plans. They were already getting lots of constructive and negative feedback. They already knew that the branch was at risk. Me coming in and pointing that out would not have helped anything. So instead, he approached it from a strengths-based approach and recognized everything that they were already doing really well. And most importantly, reconnected, focused on reconnecting people to why they are there. They're not just there to, you know, sell credit cards and loans and mortgages or to, you know, give people their balances and withdraw cash. They're there to make a difference in the lives of the community members that they serve. 
They're there to help people get their kids to university. They're there to help people buy their first house, to get out of debt, to save for retirement and make a difference. And so he built his own people recognition plan where he would look for the little things at every level of, of the branch from the teller to, you know, the custodial staff to, you know, the most, you know, the branch manager and would send thank you, very genuine thank you notes focused on the little behaviors and practices that he felt made a big difference. Thank you notes. And he would, via email, and then he would also CC his boss on those emails so that the most senior people at the bank would see what a great job these people are doing and would then also respond with thanks and gratitude. And he would have huddles every morning celebrating what happened the previous week, reconnecting the people to their mission and goals at the branch and focusing on, okay, what do we need to do even better this week? He built that trust through people. He built people up and connected them meaningfully to their strengths, to the, their raison d'etre, why they're there. And then of course, focused on what needed to improve. And so my hope for you is that this, this episode will inspire you to go back to your own team maybe to your group of leaders at the leadership team level and really talk about what do we need to do to ensure that we're fanatically focused on feeding that wolf of excellence and building a high performance culture because it starts at the leadership team level. Do you have alignment as leaders as far as putting culture first and building a culture in which your people can truly thrive because it is only at that point can you truly succeed as an organization? So bring this back to your leadership team. Have a conversation around how are we prioritizing culture here and what do we need to do? The first step might be understanding your current culture. The first step might be going out and having culture chats or stay interviews and and really understanding what's working within the culture and what needs to shift. And then from there, you can craft the picture of your desired culture and take steps to achieve it. Do you have the right leadership competencies in place? Do you have the right values? Are your teams and leaders equipped with the right skills and practices and knowledge and awareness that is needed to build the culture most essential to your organizations and people's success? So my hope is that this episode will spark dialogue with those that you lead and those that you work with at every level of the organization. And so with that, feel free to reach out. Please visit waterstonehc.com for more tools and best practices to build high-performance cultures. And feel free to reach out directly to me via LinkedIn, Twitter, email. I love having these kinds of conversations. So until next time, I wish you and your teams all the very best. See you next week. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.